Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The European Le Mans Series on RadioLeMans.com. Hello everybody and welcome along to a special end of season review programme on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. I'm John Hindorf and in this show we'll be looking at the Michelin Le Mans Cup and the European Le Mans Series. And the good news for you as listeners is you don't have to listen to me on this because frankly that would make it a very short show. Uh, we have the voice of our broadcast from the ELMS and the uh, MLMC for 2019. Johnny Palmer is alongside me. Hello, Johnny. Hello, John. Good season then. Um, Barcelona for the test, and you went down that there to the end of March, and then through Monza, Silverstone, Portimao, Barcelona for the race uh, was earlier in the year, then Le Castellet and Spa Franc, Echamp, and pretty much everything. So you did all of those this year, didn't you? I think I did. Yeah. yeah. Looking back. Yeah, we had an extended uh, week in Ricard because, as you say, there was the Michelin Le Mans Cup, there was an ELMS prologue, there were also one or two WEC cars knocking about, even though they hadn't finished their season at that point. Uh, and then on to Italy, to Spain for a Saturday night race, the first time the ELMS has done that in recent years anyway, uh, stretching through till, what was it, half, half past ten, I think, in the evening. Mm. Fitted perfectly uh, nicely in with Spanish culture as well, so there was a decent crowd to witness that. Then a little bit of a gap before Silverstone at the end of the year, supporting the World Endurance Championship, uh, the start of their year rather, and uh, two-thirds through the ELMS season. And then to Spa-Francorchamps, where we saw the full race this year, as opposed to mm. the previous year where it was rained off halfway through. And the Algarve International Circuit, a great place to uh, bring the season to a close. There were plenty of championship battles there, just to... Uh, a few weeks ago. And sticking with the tried and tested six events, four hours, 24 hours of racing, but spread across those six events, which now is uh, is well set. Uh, the team seem to like it. Uh, the fans turn out for it in some places. Not massive crowds everywhere, of course, but it works well for the TV and the radio package. And it, it seems to have really caught people's attention now and, and established itself in terms of the format. Yeah, uh, and there are going to be some tweaks into next year, which includes, I think, utilising a bit of Thursday as well. Mm. Um, and that's not necessarily gone down well with all parties. But I think uh, the way it's worked till this point is pretty good because some drivers can afford to get there on a Friday, you know, Friday morning or late, very early afternoon. Uh, there's a bronze test to be done for the ELMS cars. But um, if your main business is elsewhere, you're not a racing driver per se uh, as your main trade, um, because it's only six races a year, plus Le Mans, because there's no ELMS race in June, uh, but every other month from April through to October we're racing, um, I, I, I think it it works well. You can just do the ELMS, but also there is some concern as well about how it fits into the greater motorsport perspective too. Um, so if you wish to do other championships, again, there's a chance to do that as well. Start with the main championship uh, and, and a bit of an overview. Of course, we have GTE, LMP3, hugely successful LMP3, and LMP2. LMP2 being the top class in the ELMS, as it has been for quite some time. Um, if we start with the GTs, it's, it's always been a difficult category, hasn't it, for the ELMS, the GTEs. They are expensive and complicated cars to run, but for, for 2019, a decent spread of cars across the season. Yeah, team-wise, I would agree with you. Um, for me, it still needs a bit more variety in terms of the... Of the manufacturer. Car, yeah, but it's yes. basically Porsche versus Ferrari. We haven't had anybody else uh, throughout the course of the year, despite there being more interest in Michelin, Le Mans Cup. We'll get to that, but they're GT3 cars. And then for certain teams, there's a decision to make if you're going to move up to GTE, mm. what's available, what's competitive, though, as well. Um, and the Porsches look very strong. The, uh, the Ferrari, the Evo-spec Ferrari, trickled down into GTE AM and therefore potentially for customer hands this year as well um but there's strength in depth beyond that you know once you've dealt with just two manufacturer badges 
it was tricky to work out who was going to be on the podium at the start of each of the weekend. Uh, in terms of the season, a fairly dominating season for uh, Lusic Racing, when you look at the, the final points, 127 to the next nearest, 76. But behind them, with Dempsey Protom, GMW Motorsport, Kessel, Spirit of Race, all separated by literally handfuls of points. In fact, Kessel and Spirit of Race um, were unable to be split on the points side of things. And is that uh, is that how to... Uh, is that how really to characterise Lusix Racing this year? Were they that dominant? Uh, and were there, were there drivers? Uh, Alessandro Pergidi, Fabian Levin and uh, Nicholas Nelson, were they that much better than everyone else? I think they were. Um, but it's also very good research regarding Lucic Racing slash AF Corsa to work out who's going to be strongest to put in the car. Alessandro Pierre Guidi, 2017 co-champion at World Endurance uh, Championship level. So there's no denying his pedigree. Uh, Nicholas Nielsen, for those fans of Ferrari Challenge around Europe, uh, very experienced at the wheel of a GT3 Ferrari and a Cup car Ferrari. GTE he had to learn, but obviously the behaviour of the car is very similar on acceleration, uh, uh, but no traction control, no ABS, so he needed to get used to the finesse required to slow the car into the tricky, slower corners. Fabian Laverne is where those a lot of those races were won and lost, really, and a lot of people said, well, he's a bit of a, a sneaky bronze, shouldn't really be a bronze, too quick to be a bronze, but he'd not got the pedigree or the race results to, to say that he shouldn't be in any other category. Right. He has now, and, you know, the question is, what, what happens now? Because he's surely going to be a silver going into the new year. One of the things that the organisers did to counteract that for the first time in ELMS was to give the car success ballast. And for a race win in either of the two previous races, you'd get 15 kilos. It would be 10 kilos for second place, 5 kilos for third. And that same measurement scheme was used for the championship as well. So in a sense, Lucy Racing had to do it the hard way but they've still got four wins. So obviously they'd work their car out to, to deal with the weight. Mm. And this is weight strapped into where the passenger seat would be ordinarily. I mean, I think there are three places you can choose Correct. to put the weight. But, I mean, Alessandro Pierguidi actually opened the door for me on the first weekend and went, we're going to put it there. Um, they never got to a point where they needed to carry the maximum 45 kilos, but regularly they were 25, 30, and it didn't seem to affect them. Well, uh, they, they won the first race. Uh, they placed third in the second race then they won the, th- the third race then they placed fourth in the four- fourth race yeah that was the weight I think uh, and then at Spa they were back on the top step of the podium and, and rounded the season off with a victory um, y- you might say that that was nicely managed in terms of success ballast if I think back to the days of touring cars uh, when I was working with Ray Malik and RML uh, how you would look to uh, maximise your performance towards the end of the season but to be honest by the time they got to Portimao the, the championship was already won there mm-hmm. um, the battle for second position was outstanding with uh, as we said the Dempsey team Christian Reid Matteo Cairoli and Ricardo Perra battling season long really uh, with uh, Jeff Siegel uh, uh, and Matteo Cressoni and we Lou, only two points between those two crews at the end of it. And another six points further back, the Rahel Fry, Michelle Gatting and Manuela Gostner car were tied on points with Aaron Scott, Duncan Cameron and Matt Griffin. So plenty there to keep the interest despite mm. that that seeming domination at the front of the field. Oh, yeah, and the nice thing about uh, GTE in ELMS is there are actually two invitations to Le Mans next year. Mm. So second place was all important. It was just such a shame that we had a horrendous start in Portimao, which obliterated six cars out of the fourth corner, was it, on the opening lap? So all of a sudden, Christian Reed, who you know, done really well that weekend to that point. Matteo Cairelli had qualified the car in a decent position. He was out of the race and then thought, well, we've got to now rely on all the points we've scored, 76 to this point, to and be that's enough. It. We're not getting any more. And, and the girls at Kessel Racing I really felt for as well because Manuela Gosner limped the car back. The Kessel team couldn't work on the car because it was under a red flag. So they just had to stare at it and go, well, this might be fixable, might not be. By the time they could finally wheel it into the garage, it took them maybe 30 seconds and the guy just crossed his arms one of the mechanics oh, and went that. 
we ain't going to do this because it's major suspension failure and probably a, a rebuild of that front end where they'd need half a day to do it and they had about 10 minutes. So, so those cars, well, actually the, the Dempsey car, they were on pole at the final race of the year and the last two pole positions they scored were in the last two races of the year. They were the two points with which effectively they won the championship. Um, right in behind them, not quite getting enough points. The Seagull, Crisoni and Wheelu car, um, they scored 10 points in the the final round. Uh, in that last round, I mean, you could say, oh, they would be disappointed not to be another couple of places higher up the grid to get that Le Mans spot. But to be honest, they'd had a couple of races where they'd been out of it after um, a couple of a fourth and two seconds. Then they were down the field in, in the middle of the season and, they, and they, they hadn't really recovered from that. No. Uh, and it's questionable as to what exactly went wrong with JMW Motorsport. Massive experience mm. with this level of, of motor racing and, and all look rosy at the halfway point. Um, but I think because it's so competitive at the sharp end, plus there was the unknown quantity of car 88 at Silverstone. Thomas Prining turning up with uh, two new guys in the Proton Competition uh, team. The car they've actually struggled to, to get seats filled in all year. It was, it was withdrawn for three of the six events. And that was another car that retired at the end of the season. But they took a, a surprising, I think you can say, win at Silverstone. That took points away from JMW. And as you say, two sixth places and a fifth to finish the year. Um, Jim McWhirter's team will will be ruining that second portion of the season. Um, might just be one of those mysteries as to why it went all a bit wrong, as far as they're concerned. Uh, you, you've mentioned the uh, Gatling Fry and Scott, the all-female crew, uh, the uh, Gatling Fry and Gosner all-female crew, Aaron Scott, Duncan Cameron, and Matt Gripton almost snuck up there at the end and, and nicked themselves that Le Mans place. All right, ultimately, they, they end up, what, eight points away, finished in fourth position. Um, again, a, a little bit of an indifferent season for Matt Griffin and Duncan Cameron and, and Aaron Scott. They, they scored okay in all bar the second race of the season. Yeah, and again, they have been a team regularly in the hunt going into the final round for the title, let alone mm. for a second place. I mean, they were the, the real outside bet for, I think it was four teams that could potentially have finished second um, and ended up finished, finishing equal fourth with the 83 Ferrari. Some of this is down to, well, uh, perceived um, better performance for the Porsche. Right? It's been given a slightly better balance of performance package. Um, not not driving either of the cars, you know, it's very difficult to, to, to know that. You just talk to drivers and that's the general feel of it. Plus, how you, your makeup of the drivers are. And, and as I say, Lucic Racing just played a blinder yeah. in terms of their selection. But, I mean, there's no doubting that Aaron Scott and Duncan Cameron, who owns that car, together with Matt Griffin, have been a, a decent unit, whether it be in GTEs or GT3s, over the last... Five years? Well, so you don't put Matteo Grifoni into a car. Um, the, the most Italian uh, Irishman you could ever ever meet, or the most Irish Italian, I don't know, whichever way it works. But yeah. it, seldom do you, never do you put Matt in a car and make it go any slower. Uh, you know, he's, he's very well thought of by Ferrari. He's done some of the development work on uh, their cars. Uh, and, and therefore, you, you see Matt's name on an entry list and you go, well, yeah, got to be in with a chance there. Yeah, huh? yeah. And he's a real thinking driver as well, because I remember point. at the Abu Dhabi Golf 12 Hours a few years ago, David A. Regan was able to churn out quicker laps than him, and he's, he, he was saying to us, where's he making that time? Because I am giving it all through every single corner, and he's thinking, is there anywhere that I could actually just eke out a little bit more? And he goes back, obviously, with the engineers and, and trawls over data to try and extract that little bit of pace, and he's not getting any slower. Mm. Um, so... That there were always going to be, I mean, with such a, a decent GTE field compared to previous years, where we've had five and six cars regularly. You know, it's been up towards eight, and sometimes nine. We had nine at the opening round. Mm. Somebody's got to lose out, and that's again credit to the championship winners in the end to actually string that uh, run of results together, and then one or two others falling by the wayside. In the end, fifty-five Spirit race only ending up with two podiums from six yes. races, which. Th those results don't quite season. fit with the Ferrari that they're racing. I was going to say, the start of the season, that wouldn't have been 
on your I suspect this might happen Not list. at all. No. no. No, it's bizarre. So, Lucid Racing and Dempsey Pro on Racing first and second. They will get the uh, entries to Le Mans for next season. Uh, let's move into uh, LMP3. Uh, again, highly contested. LMP3, uh, a word about the class. Uh, 15 teams throughout the season, but not all uh, at every race, of course. But a class that, up until fairly recently, there was talk of relegation and promotion for people to move up into the category from from the Michelin Le Mans, Le Mans Cup itself, the, the, the Road to Le Mans races. It's really caught the imagination of the teams and the drivers in Europe. It has. Uh, and we're at a point now where big changes are about to happen in uh, in LMP3. I mean, that's more of a, about of a chat for the 2020 preview, quite possibly. Yes, true. Uh, but we are hitting the reset button with four brand new chassis about to uh, invade the LMP3 category. But, uh, yeah, uh, Lisier's JSP3 has been uh, a uh, less recent car compared to the Norma M30, and the Norma, being a more recent design, has tended to be the stronger when it comes to qualifying in a weekend. It's mm easily the fastest car down the straights but fascinating fascinatingly you know the championship ends with two Ligier JSP3 teams at the top because for whatever reason the, the Ligier just seem to be better across four hours and whether that's more friendly on the tyres whether that's more friendly on the drivers um, or just better strategy from the teams involved hey, but you wouldn't say that at the start of the weekend you go oh well that's going to be a normal one two three no question about it and they'd actually struggle to get on the podium uh, it was inter-Europol competition by just two points at the end of the year from Euro International. And there, in fact, only 360 racing and ultimate, I think, also scored race wins that year, that uh, last year. Uh, was it as tight then on the track as it looks when I look at the, the stark reality of the black and white here at the... At the end of season tables. Well, we should also make the point at this, this uh, stage that it, this is all very much provisional. Yes. Uh, and it was incredibly close going into the final race. They were locked together on 94 points where Euro International mm. and into Europol competition. Um, on the road, into Europol competition finished ahead of Euro International, uh, but they were pinged afterwards for. Now I'm racking my brains. I think it was a drive time infringement Martin Hipper wasn't in the car for long enough and remember he shares the car with Nigel Moore Nigel Moore's a silver Martin Hipper's a bronze you've got to have the bronze in for just over half the race and it would appear from the outside looking in that the, uh, the little team from Poland have made a schoolboy error there but they are appealing it so much, much later on down the line, I'm sure into the new year, that appeal will be heard and we will eventually get a championship winner in LMP3. But so, at the moment, it's Euro International yeah. and we shouldn't take anything away from them because the three three wins, a second place and eventually a sixth place when all the results were rejigged to their correct position uh, on the Algarve. It looks like a, a fairly dominant win. I mean, it's less than 10 points, but nevertheless, you know, going into the final round with both teams at the top on exactly the same points. It, it was one race to decide it, and it's a shame it's ended like this in a way. But there we are. So you looking at the points there that say Euro International have one or two against Inter Europol on ninety four and a half. Yeah. And actually, as they crossed the line, it was one one two to one hundred. Is uh, that correct? Yes. Before 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 the penalty was put in so I'm looking at it before the penalty was applied to Martin Hipper and Nigel and Nigel Moore because I've got them in uh, second place I guess second or third place second and place yes yes correct okay so that one we have to wait about it uh, does that also affect all of the results further down because the, I mean there's five points between what I'm looking at here and this was the end of the race and this is why I deliberately got this the Jean-Baptiste uh, Lehay, Francois Herreau uh, Mathieu Lehay, and then Garrett Gris Tommy Erdos back great to see Tommy Erdos back driving with Garrett Grist and the very quick Wayne Boyd uh, in scored in fourth position on 68 mm. points. Yeah, they, they uh, their points may be different. The order in the championship is pretty much the same. So right. the two LaHaye's brothers and Franck Ayo on 76 points. 
because they were given third place. Got you. Uh, basically, Martin Hipper and Nigel Moore fought into Europe on competition were given a nine-lap penalty, which put them down to 11th position. You get half a point for 11th, although still a finisher, and that took them to 94 and a half and gave Jens Pettersen, Mikkel Jensen, uh, what's that? sixth place mm. in the race ultimately because they uh, leapfrogged uh, Hipper and Moore in the process so they finish as title winners on 102 provisionally speaking Garrett Gristomiodos Wayne Boyd fourth as you say ahead of Tony Wells and Colin Noble uh, some big names there and as I say good to see Tommy Erdos back obviously I mm. know him from the uh, the uh, RML days and the very fast in a Celine very fast in, in anything and everything I either saw posted by Tommy or spoke to him briefly about he was absolutely loving being back he's never actually been a little black rain cloud in fairness he has always been a ray of sunshine but big smiles always from the well we, we now almost claim him as British but we have to remember he's South American to start with yes he is yeah Brazilian uh, of origin but has lived in Bedfordshire for a great, a, a big chunk of his life. Uh, coming back to the ELMS, because only now re- reminding myself through looking it up, 20, 2007 mm-hmm. ELMS champion, that was with RML, and together uh, together with the team again in 2010. So no stranger to the European Le Mans series, or the Le Mans series as it was known in those days. Indeed so. And things have changed quite a, quite a bit, but I know that uh, Richard Dean suddenly realised that Tommy was now of an age to be registered as, as bronze, bronze with the FIA and thought, well, he's still going to have a, a hat load of pace and why not let's utilise him? So I think, yeah, I'm really enjoying getting behind the prototype. It's a baby prototype, but the LMP3s provide very competitive racing. Proper racing cars, racing cars, as we were talking about uh, at the uh, the Encore at the end of the IMSA season with uh, a couple of drivers who hadn't driven them before, in Tristan Nunez, who is a works master driver, uh, and Oliver Askew, who's now an IndyCar driver, yeah. and both saying, wow, wow, you know, really impressed by that. You mentioned Richard Dean, United Autosport, fourth position behind uh, Ultimate. Hmm... Uh, <sighs> I don't think Danny will be delighted about that. Very cleverly picking up Tommy. They've done that in the past with other people. But fourth and six, uh, fourth and eighth in the uh, championship, as I've got it standing here, uh, on the uh, if you want to see the points I'm talking about, they're on the European Le Mans Series dot com site. Uh, that is non-adjusted because the appeal then puts everything back mm. and holds everything effectively um, in stasis until we get a decision on whether that was uh, a correct decision. Um, United don't come into a championship to be fourth and eighth in the championship, do they, Johnny? They don't. And, uh, yeah, again, it's tricky to work out exactly why they had a, a difficult season. They have won the LMP3s in the past with mm. Mike Gwash and Martin, uh, sorry, Martin Brundle, Alex Brundle, and uh, Christian England, who, by the way, we must wish the best uh, in his recovery because he was just about the, the, the most badly injured in that crash at the start of the uh, four hours of the Algarve. Um, colliding with the Delara that was broadside of Jack Manchester and uh, never liked to see a, a, a car at racing speed, hit basically a stationary car, oh. and he's, had, he's done quite bad damage to his ankles, uh, was in hospital the evening of the race, uh, having everything set in place, and I think it is just now a question of uh, taking the time to recover, but I hope we see you in a racing car sometime very soon, Christian. Um, here, here. Why they could only muster three podiums and they were third steps mm-hmm. is tricky uh, to tell um, the, the number uh, two lineup was the one we mentioned of Garrett Gris, Tommy Erdos and, and Wayne Boyd and then Christian England did sharing they, they get the win at Spa, yes they did uh, the you're international in LMP3 uh, sorry, talking. yes, in LMP3. Sorry, I'm looking at LMP2. Yeah, p 2 is a different yes. story. Of course, we'll yes, get yes. to that. Yes, I'm um, sorry. Uh, there's also the, the, the back story of what happened in LMP2, starting with one chassis, moving to the other, despite being mm. the UK dealer of Ligier, and there was a big decision for Dini, and I'm sure Zach Brown to make at half distance. But it wasn't as clear-cut in LMP3 which was the best chassis. As I say, Norma predominantly taking pole, but they couldn't necessarily sustain that pace across the race. Um, but they were just up against, you know, some some great strategy from into Europol competition. Plus, Nigel Moore is just a maniac when he takes mm. over the car. And even if he's taking his stint when he's about 15th in the class, he can still come home in third. Did the... Um 
you were there at, at Portimao. Did the controversy, or let's not call it controversy, but did the, the penalties at the end of the race, in some ways, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that recently, about, ooh, can we, can we trust what we see with our own eyes if we're watching the telly or we're at the track? Did, did that some ways slightly sour the end of the, the season, that we haven't got a, a closure to yeah. the 2019 season? You can't really... You, what do you do at the at the gala ceremony? Do you celebrate? Do you not celebrate? Do you hand out trophies? Do you not hand out trophies? Because effectively that result is in brackets at the moment. And, you know, you looking at it on one website, says one team's won. I'm looking at the official website, says the other team's won. And in fact, neither of them won yeah. right now. Yeah, we're in a state of purgatory, if you like. Yeah, very we? good. Um, yeah, there's always going to be this, this thought at the back of everybody's minds. Is that actually a legitimate trophy or will it be redistributed later on? It's the same feeling that we had at the end of Le Mans. Mm. Was that last year or the year before? I've forgotten now. I think it was 18 when uh, G-Drive won on the road, but Sydney Tech Alpine were given the title many, many mm. uh, months later. And uh, it, a lot of people I speak to, and I think I feel like this as well, it would be great to go home at the end of a race meeting know, knowing who's won. And Silverstone, two years ago, 2018, the two Toyotas finished first and second on the road. They were disqualified later on. It was a first win for Rebellion. And it, it, it relies on you being interested, focused, attentive enough to actually pluck out the story from somewhere online and go, oh, that's not the result yeah. because of something. But then because motor racing is so complex, because there are so many regulations that can't necessarily be policed at that moment in time, they need to be checked afterwards. Is this just inevitable? Yeah. Wrong, wrong fastings on nose boxes has caught people yeah. uh, this year as well. Yeah, in, but in ring 24 hours, we had a different winner two mm. weeks later. It's, Absolutely. It's happened well. a lot lately. Uh, no such issues, though, in the LMP2 team's classification and driver's classification. Although, again, a close-run thing going into the final round. Uh, Idexport, Edexport, depends which way you say it, took a couple of wins on the season and, crucially, took the four hours of Portimao win, which, really, they kind of had to do. and They were a little bit behind in the points going into that with G-Jive Racing, the perennial front runners. Uh, whoever runs those cars, yeah. the black and orange uh, cars have been run by a number of teams down through the years, but it doesn't seem to matter. Uh, it does. They do seem to be at the sharp end of the field. Four points eventually at the end of the year ahead of G-Drive. Graph a little bit further back and then United Autosports in, in fourth position uh, there as well. And a championship that you know really did come down to the last four-hour race and went finally in the the favour of Memo Rojas, Paul Lafargue and Paul Loop Shackland. And, and Paul Lafargue and Paul Loop in particular, absolute poster children for the ladder system in mm. European sports car racing. Came up through the um, LMPC type cars, the prototype lights cars, if you will, uh, back through the years. And a good season of racing. You're right. 2013 was an LMPC title win for, for um, Paul Chatin. And then he won the the overall championship the following season. But uh, it's been a long wait since 2014 to eventually be there again. Memo Rojas slightly more recently. But yeah, Paul Lafargue, I mean, he's the silver. He's the one that's helped those guys doing the heavy lifting in the middle portion of the race very often. Came back from a nasty back injury last year and was sitting out from his Mercedes that Edek regularly run actually in the 24H series sometimes mm. too. Um, but yeah, has taken to, to prototypes uh, very easily, uh, perhaps more easily than others have tried to in the past. And uh, I think EDEC made a conscious decision at the start of the year to say, we're going to enter two cars, but we're going to make one more of a gentleman entry and try and get top tens where we can. But the other one, we're going to make this meaningful run for the title. Mm. And you could tell how much th th they meant that from, from the people they signed. It should be said that G-Drive, it was their race to lose. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, Jot van Outert in the, what, end of the third hour, possibly the start of the fourth, went for a move on Memo Rojas, which wasn't really on, mm -hmm. ended up spinning the Mexican out, and he was stuck at turn three for a little while, got going again, uh, but Yop 
pinged for that. Jean-Éric Verne, who was at the wheel of the car at the time, had to come in to serve the penalty, and that put him way back in the pack, because I think they were under a safety car, or mm. they'd been a safety car, so the gaps between the cars was much less, and all of a sudden, a, a drive-through, would, which might have put him down to fourth, if it had been open running, was about 10th or 11th, and he, he did very well to finish sixth, but it wasn't going to be enough, and uh, a surprise winner, but, but a worthy one, he'd export. Um, Split the split a pole apiece between those two teams, Jop van Utrecht and uh, Roman Rusinov together in the G Drive car, of course. A uh, couple of wins for them across the season, a couple of wins for the eventual champions. But it all looked like it might have gone wrong for the team that eventually took the big trophies at the four hours of Spa when they were surprisingly a little bit further down the order. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that was just certain things not going in their favour during the uh, Belgian round. Uh, that wasn't weather-related because we actually had very decent weather mm-hmm. for, for, for a Spa, considering it was, uh, what, third weekend of, of September. But, I mean, six races, you're always going to have a, a little bit of an off one. Um, but they still finished in the top six. I think that's crucial not to get a DNF because you do still get eight points for sixth place. Yes. And I noticed a fifth place at Barcelona as well where they would have got ten. But um, even if the teams had finished equal on points, 105 apiece, let's say, on the count back, even though they had two wins, or they would have had two wins, let's say, if Edek had won, um, the second place is favoured the French squad. Yeah. So it still would have been uh, Edek sport. And, and that shows, you know, it's important to get decent results in as early as possible because you never know when they may well count and with only six races it's not unknown to to see teams finish on the same amount of points Mm. behind that graph in third position but 83 points so quite uh, a gap back and then down to 71 for united autosport everybody else i mean those two had their problems but everybody else uh, either didn't do a full season or had problems across the season with Dragon Speed in fifth to Kane in sixth, Cool Racing and the second United Autosport seventh, seventh and eighth position. And, and again, just, you know, looking at the, you know, you mentioned the change of chassis partway through the year. Was that, did that slightly destabilise the Yorkshire-based squad, do you think, looking back? It was, it was all done, in fairness, it, it could have been a lot less adult than it was it was it mm. wasn't messy uh, it was sensibly handled in terms of social media and the press releases uh, we've seen things that have been uh, far less um pleasant yeah, recently yeah. when there's been a breakup but that one seemed to go quite well it was became obvious didn't it as soon as they started running the competitor chassis that they weren't going to be able to still represent the other company so it, it, it kind of looked from the outside as if it had all been handled quite amicably. I, th- I think it was. Um, and, and Richard Dean gave me a, a very open and frank interview during the prologue week when he was there for on WEC duty, but, of course, off the back of a ELMS weekend as well. And, uh, you know... I. I was trying to probe, but in a in a friendly way as well, because I said, you know, you get press releases, you get stories on the internet, and, and that, that often generates more questions than answers. And this was labelled as a customer-related change. So I thought, well, my initial thought was, well, that's Phil Hansen then, because he wants to get the results. And the Ligier... Uh, the other thing that he said was, they never missed a beat at Le Mans this year Correct. in their Ligier. Correct. And they finished fourth or fifth or something. Yes. You know, nowhere, nowhere near the, the winner... And just went, do you know what? There's nothing else we can do other than change the car because the Orica 07 is just a better car mm-hmm. over four hours, 12 hours, 24 hours mm-hmm. than the Ligier. And that's just the situation they're in. And, and they had an open conversation with all at Ligier and it, it was made more difficult because they were the Ligier UK dealers. Yes. So you're turning your back on, you know, you're going to have to relinquish that. A business that. relationship. Yeah. A real business relationship, not uh, just buying parts and a chassis from somebody. Yeah. And there's obviously a, a weighing up process where you say, well, this is what we're going to lose, but this is what we stand to gain. Because Richard Dean made the point to me, it's nothing to do with Phil Hansen. Yes, that's a little part of it, but he's interested in the next Phil Hansen as well. Yes. And who else he can get on board at United Order Sports. And the Orica is just a more desirable and quicker car. And you mentioned them taking a real good look at the performance at Le Mans. And you know, and I know Richard Dean and, and everybody around him in that team, they weren't kidding themselves there. If they thought they'd done a good job, and we said it funnily, I think, 
you and I mentioned it in the post-race tech show that we looked at them and they were the best of that chassis mm. and we couldn't think of a mistake they'd made. We couldn't think of a, an issue that they'd had during the race. No. Well, and, and they delved into that. I heard that interview that you did uh, with Dini at the prologue at, at, at Barcelona and it, and it made me go and have a look at the, at the hourly stats and things like that. They never missed a beat and their, their averages, their stint averages were pretty good but they were all just a bit off. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, tenths of seconds possibly, but they all add up, don't they, over, exactly over right. a day's period. Um, but there's no question about the, the drivers that he had at his disposal. Philippe Albuquerque has been there for a good mm-hmm. few years. Paul DeResta is now helping out. And Phil Hansen, who was just about one of the best silvers on the grid. So, you know, the driver lineup was right. It was just this big decision they had to make. Unfortunately, Silverstone was the first race mm. with this new Orica in both the ELMS and the WC because it's a new season of WC and it just couldn't have been a worse weekend because the steering broke for Phil Hansen at Luffield in the opening hour of the ELMS race. He ended up in the gravel, in the barrier and out of the race. The WEC race lasted five minutes of a four-hour race with Paul DeResta touring across the line with some sort of issue. Different car, you know, same or it's still an Orica 07, but it was a different chassis mm-hmm. and... Uh, yeah, it, it packed up. They had to throw a safety car. It was just beyond Abbey. Tracked it out of the way. We never saw it again. And I remember seeing Phil Hansen's tweets that night. You know, they were not not particularly happy. Dark. And he was rather downbeat. <laughs> but then, the next race in ELMS at Spa, they won it. Yeah. And all of a sudden he goes, OK. OK, now this we is, know. This is what we like about motor racing. That's uh, Johnny Palmer and John Hindorf here as we look back at the European Le Mans series uh, for 2019. A cracking season. And congratulations to the winners uh, and those picking up the... Uh, automatic invitations, automatic and inverted commas, because you still have to be invited, but it kind of puts you at the top of the list for Le Mans in 2020. In the second part of this programme, we'll be looking at the championship that supported the Le Mans, European Le Mans series this year, also a one which Johnny saw all of the races, and that's the Michelin Le Mans Cup. The European Le Mans series on RadioLeMans.com. So Johnny Palmer is with me and we're going to discuss now the fourth season of the Michelin Le Mans Cup, uh, beginning in France at uh, Paul Ricard in April and finishing on the Algarve in October. LMP3 and GT3s, uh, Johnny. Um, uh, Support race effectively to the... European Le Mans series, which we've already discussed, except, except the Le Mans round. That's that's a standalone uh, and uh, has two 55-minute races where everyone else is, uh, everywhere else is a two-hour contiguous race. Uh, just a thought on the makeup of the season, first of all. You're in the paddock. You're, you see the teams and the drivers. You talk to people. Um, effectively, six events with getting on for 12 hours racing let's be honest um and just a, a thought about the season to start off i think i think the fact that they go to le mans every june is is a major pull for mm. uh, the people involved and you get to race on on, on race morning as well because the second one of the week takes place uh, fairly early on saturday then there's a thursday kind of evening race as well um but it's it's great experience for people who aspire to at some point take part in the great 24 hours that they've got some track knowledge and also a a very busy track because i mean that if anything is one of the downsides of the rest of the season it pulls in one heck of an entry for for the june races but the trick is then to try and hold on to that entry for the rest of the season and indeed make sure that everyone knows that there's a couple of races even before we get to that uh, stage so um if you're a full season entrant you're on board straight away and then we get a, a, this influx of other GT3 cars and then spare LMP3 cars as well. Um, I, I do like it because mainly because it's the bronze that has so much responsibility through the course of the regular season. They qualify the car and it's fascinating to watch a 10 or sometimes 15 minute qualifying session with the bronzes out there because they, they generally get quicker and quicker through the course of that qualifying session. It's not a case of uh, if you're a, an ultimate pro and you can lay down a qualifying lap at the first time of asking. These guys and girls are getting more and more used to the car and more used to the track that they may be at too. So very often the fastest lap of the session is set on the final time around. 
and then they have to do half the race as well. So uh, big responsibility for the bronze and sort of incomparable to a lot of other championships where the onus is more on the on the pro drivers. Uh, let's start with the GT categories. Um, uh, a reasonable but not fabulous GT3 entry when you think of all the places that you can go and race a GT3 in the world, it's perhaps not uh, not surprising that this isn't one of the places on the top of the list. But it it really should be, shouldn't it? Given that you get to go to Le Mans and some fabulous tracks, and you're only in a two-class race with LMP3 cars uh, as a supporter ELMS. Uh, a couple of hours on the track, as we've mentioned, for most of the races. It's actually quite a good race series. Uh, and yet we haven't really, this season, had a full GT3 field. No, um, but it, it, I would still say it's better than it has been in previous years. That's very so, true. Uh, you know, relatively speaking, progress is being made. It needs to step up a gear next year too. Uh, but we do have a bit more variety than we have in the ELMS, for example, because obviously your choice of GT3 car far greater than it is in the GTE world for competitive fair point as well, yeah. machines. So uh, we, we've got Mercedes, AMG GT3s, we've got Porsches, Lamborghini Huracans, Ferraris. Um, so the spread of variety is there, and it's also a question of, because there are only six races i suppose if if you want to improve as a bronze driver you've got to look to other championships as well uh, to to kind of back up what what you may be doing in this championship and therefore a, a, a series that dovetails nicely with this what you don't want is clashes through the through the course of the year um but the, the, sometimes the ELMS, the, the way that that is so popular is because there are only six races through the year and they're evenly spaced. But if you're trying to drum up interest for the main race and, and to get more involved in ELMS, uh, the bronze drivers want as much experience as possible. So yeah. are they going elsewhere to try and get more races, which is the flip side of what's happening in ELMS? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, we, we should mention that whilst the Le Mans double header at 55 minutes is a point scoring round for those people in the championship anybody who comes in and does that as a one-off actually is ineligible to score points and um, that that's an interesting move by the organizers there uh, from my point of view jp it is I, I suppose you you know you could offer some points as, as a carrot and that might might make people to you know want to get involved in the next three races after that Mm. Um, but then, you know, if you are going to just get one-offs turning up for Le Mans, then why reward them with any points? Yeah. Um, they, they are after full season entries, surely. Uh, and they've had this debate in the WEC as well. Um, numbers a little bit slim, particularly in the top class for that championship this season. And uh, although they haven't turned their back on uh, single entry, uh, single race entries, they've said you're not going to score any points for that. So there's a penalty for for not being fully committed to the championship, um, but it, that shouldn't be of any detriment to, to to the big entry we expect again for Le Mans next year. As far as the top of the GT3 uh, teams stroke driver uh, championship is concerned. Uh, two teams swept the board. Six events, seven races. Uh, and the it was Hop Suisse, uh, in honour of my late mother-in-law, um, uh, that, that uh, swept the race wins uh, with the Ferrari 488 GT3 in the form of Kessel Racing in the number eight car who won the championship uh, and the 71 uh, Lusic Racing car. Uh, we've, we've documented Lusic already in their ELMS uh, um, championship aspirations and also Kessel Racing as well. Four race wins to three um, basically takes the championship for Kessel Racing and it was just as well because they had an bl- absolute nightmare at Le Mans uh, in the first race where they only finished in 10th position but 130 points over 109 actually makes it look Possibly a little easier than it was for them. Yeah, and they managed to defend their title indeed as well because uh, they, as a result of such a good uh, result in 2018, got the Le Mans drive because at GT3 level, it doesn't happen in LMP3, but GT3s, if you win that in the Michelin Le Mans Cup, that's an automatic Le Mans entry. And 
the Kessel guys with exactly the same driver lineup again, Bacini and Pianazzola managed to defend their title. But I'm looking at the qualifying sheet at the end of uh, Saturday qualifying, as it was at Portimao with a Sunday morning race. You'd be hard pushed not to back the 71 car to take victory, bearing mm. in mind Fabian Laverne, he's the bronze, so he had to do the qualifying. Uh, how many cars do we have to start that race? 26. He qualified 11th, mm. and that's overall. So, yes. you know, 10 LMP3s ahead and something like 8 LMP3s behind him. Yeah. But he got muddled up in, a, in an incident on the first lap where somebody went for a do-or-die manoeuvre in a P3 downhill past the rotunda and into that tight chicane and resulted in some contact which gave him a puncture he had to limp back to the pit lane and they managed to actually change that tire and pull all the bodywork back into shape very very quickly but it was just too costly in terms of time now I don't think had Fabian Laverne managed to complete that lap and stayed out of trouble I think we'd be looking at a championship going the way of Mikkel Mack and Fabian Laverne but that was where it was pivoting and Sergio Pianazzola and Giacomo Puccini who had to start from the back of the grid after they were penalised post-session um, Pianazzola kept it neat and tidy and came through to, to take the championship victory uh, I mean in fairness as I say they dominated uh, the podia throughout the year uh, Kessel racing only twice off the podium both times at Le Mans funny enough mm. uh, Lucic racing uh, Lucic racing only uh, twice off the podium. Crucially, in the last two races of the season, sixth at Spa and fourth at Portugal, when Kessel were on that really great run at the end of the year that netted them three three victories in a row. Yes, and you know, that shouldn't be overlooked, the fact that they had four wins by the end of the season. But it started very well for Lusik. OK, two wins at Le Mans. You actually only get 15 points apiece for those. Mm rather than the full 25, but it's about form and when you hit it, I suppose, and Kessel Racing drawing on the experience that they had from last year too, and uh, there's no doubt about it, at Portimao, the luck was on their side as well, Mm -hmm. but they needed to fall back on the results they'd already got from the six races that had previously happened. Uh, the, the top two were well ahead of the rest, 132, 109. As you say, it was uh, all on the, that last race, effectively. Uh, Beach Dean, Aston Martin, Vantage was the best of the rest. In fact, the only non-Ferrari in the top four uh, in terms uh, of the championship really hurt their championship, disqualified from the first race at Le Mans. Now, whether they would have been close enough uh, without that, um, but they, they had a... A solid season with three second places, a couple of fourths, a fifth. But that, that big black mark, and it is a black mark when you look at the, the championship standing because the DSQ stands out in black on the results I'm looking at. That really hurt uh, Andrew uh, um, and Ross in, in that car. Ross, Ross Gunn and Andrew Howard. Ross Gunn, factory driver, of course. Andrew, Goward, uh, Andrew Howard, the, the uh, principal of Beach Dean Ice Cream. That's right. Uh, it was incredibly costly, sadly. And uh, again, you're only losing out on 15 points, mind you. So they, they still could have rescued perhaps a top two finish. But mm. as, as the other th- three cars around them prove, the Ferrari 488 was kind of the, the chassis to beat. Uh, and even Porsche that, that was very strong in the ELMS, for whatever reason, well, we didn't have a Porsche all the way through the year. That could well have been part of the, the problem. But EB Motors just couldn't get their 911 GT3 to work. But I think, actually, uh, Ross Gunn, who has now been signed up by Paul Dallalana in the mm. WEC to, um, to, dr- to drive with Darren Turner and uh, the Canadian driver Paul Dallalana. So clearly he's on the up. Um, the difficulty now is that the FIA have made him a gold yeah. rather than a silver. So uh, the opportunity. He's a factory to... driver, though, isn't he? Uh, yes, he he's is. He's supported by the factory. And, and, and there will be people that will say, well, you know, um, the factory are trying to hold on to uh, Paul Dallalana, who's dabbled with Ferraris and other manufacturers, by offering them Darren, Tur- by offering them Darren Turner and, and Ross Gunn. To, to go and support his, his racing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. He's a, he's a talent for the future. I think mm. the key is that, you know, the, the, the relationship between Ross and, and Andrew Howard 
Uh, maybe he needs to gel a little bit more, but Andrew's very experienced, particularly in GT3 machinery. So perhaps qualifying needs a bit of work. Also, um, there's a question mark for me over Fabian Laverne and Sergio Pianazzola because they're what I call sneaky bronzes. <laughs> you know, they, they are, again, we've spoken about this before. There's te- technically, there's nothing to say that they must be a silver because they don't have the results to back it up. However, you know, Pianazzola now a double champion in Michelin Le Mans Cup, Fabian mm. Laverne, an ELMS champion, and so nearly a Michelin Le Mans Cup uh, champion. So, will that be addressed? Quite possibly it would be, but I think I think that's what Andrew would say, is that, you know, he's up against duos that actually aren't, on his side, the bronze side, a fair match. By the way, I've dug out the uh, the issue that they actually disqualified the 99 at Le Mans um, after the car was found to have exceeded the permitted number of overshoots of boost pressure stipulated Correct. in the BOP. So that was all related to the turbocharger, which the Aston Martin now carries. Yeah, um, had they had the old car, that wouldn't have been an issue. Uh, but they were all using the new GT3 cars uh, this year. Um, in terms of the rest of the field, Johnny, in, in GT3, uh, obviously... Uh, a lot of Ferraris uh, we mentioned uh, with Spirit of Race, uh, uh, second Kessel car, Scuderia, uh, sorry, not Scuderia Veloba, that's a Huracan. Um, but, but then we've got Huracans and Mercedes. Um, but really, it was all about, wasn't it, those top three? Spirit of Race, which is a, an EF Corsa run car, in fourth position for their 51 entry. But they, they were another what, uh, 11 points back from, from the third place. Yes. Um, so, yeah, there, there's some big names there and ones that you perhaps expected to do a little bit better here and there. Um, SPS Automotive Performance, I think, worthy of a, a little doff of the cap because they bookended their season with, with Podia, mm. a second at uh, Ricard at the start of the year and a third-place finish at uh, Portimao. And uh, Yannick Mettler continues to to get better and better for me. He was in action not so long back during the code of 24 hours as well. Teamed up with uh, Swiss driver Dexter Muller for the Mm, season. That's right. And uh, SPS Automotive Performance, having won a a Pro-Am title in the International GT Open when Tom Onslow Cole has driven for them. Mm. Um, An SPS well-known within the Creventic circles, 24-8 series, but they, they made the jump across to the... Uh, to, the, to the Michelin Le Mans Cup and in fact at Le Mans turned out with Tom Onslow Cole and his regular teammate Valentin Pierberg um, it might be nice to have a couple of Mercedes actually from the German squad maybe next year mm. and, and you know they were often in the mix when it got to the midpoint where they had to change drivers you thought ah, there's a podium on offer here more often than not I know they got the two but they could have got a few more I think along the way uh, just a, a word about uh, Veloba Corsa they ran two different cars across the season the Huracan in the first three events for one team the old French team uh, Stevie S and Cedric uh, Menard Uh, and for all bar the final round they ran the Swiss-Italian combination of um, uh, Mauro Calamia and Roberto Pampanini why did they not turn up at the last round, that number seven GT3? Do we know? Uh, do you know, I don't. Now, whether that was because they, they weren't anywhere in the championship yeah. and didn't see it as worth that, or they were busy with other events. Now, the, the reason, as far as I can tell, that they, they did have a couple of retirements, in fairness, th- in the first did. round, and, the, and then the, the, what effectively was the, the fifth round at Spa. Yeah, I'm trying, to work, I'm trying to remember now whether those cars were badly damaged and perhaps mm, couldn't be fixed. Possibly. Um, but the reason why there's so, so, such radically different cars involved is because of the drivers. Yes. They are the cars that each of the drivers prefers to race. Mauro Calami has been behind the wheel of a Mercedes for uh, a number of years and he's bringing Pampanini along with him. Actually, Stevie S and Cedric Mezar have raced a Ferrari in the past. I suppose the jump to an Huracan, again, mid-engined, isn't a huge one, but it's more of a case of a customer taking their desired car to Scuderia Viola Corsa and saying, can you run this for us, please? So two very different uh, principles of, of car design there. Um, but the results, you know, come along every so often. Again, it's a team that just needs a little bit of a step up maybe next year. 
Uh, as far as the GT3, the, sorry, the LMP3 teams uh, and drivers championship was concerned, it was um, it's an impressive season for the Norma M30. We talk about an ELMS that where the the Norma often seemed to qualify well, but uh, maybe didn't get the race results. However, Normas, I think, took all bar one of the race victories, uh, and the only one that wasn't theirs was the final round with the RLL, RLR car, which was the Ligier uh, at the end of the season at Portugal. Yes, and, and that was down to um, you know cracking driving lineup. Alex Capardia, who'd basically sat out the whole of the season uh, with uh, a new addition to his family and also for business reasons stepping away from the bulk of 2019. But uh, I, think he, I think he reminded himself how good he can be, particularly yes. with a very good co-driver, as in Rob Weldon, who mm. turned up again... I think as a research tactic ahead of next year, I wouldn't be surprised to see Rob Weldon, if not a full season entry next year, then doing the bulk of the season at least. And um, Rob's proven that he can get to the front of the field and lead quite comfortably. So that, that in a way, was, um, I won't say a freak result, but because we'd not seen that combination of driver all season, the Ligier, you know, a, a, a bit of a shock victory, but not when you looked at the driving lineup. Elsewhere, though, you know, it's all about the combination of Laurence Hur and Francois Kerman for DKR and the Lannan duo of Mikey Benham and Duncan Tappy. But also, uh, the the duo at Nielsen Racing weren't a million miles away either. No. I mean, what did we have? Seven races and five of them resulted in podiums. And it could have been a good result as well by that uh, bizarre result at Spa where the top three ended up getting disqualified well, late on the Saturday night. Yeah, and, and that was, you know, we talked about that on Midweek Motorsport. This was all about the nose box bolts that were fastening a part of the 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 crash structure and, and, and the bodywork on. Uh, and so DKR, uh, number two Nielsen and the 39 graph car, all disqualified. Uh, in point of fact, the people who lost out the most there were probably the 39 graft team because um, they would have been a, a wee bit closer, perhaps, to the sharp end of the field. And, and their season rather dropped away after the first race at Le Mans, which they won, their only victory of the season. After that, a third, a fourth, a disqualified uh, and a seventh. But you, you absolutely can't take it away from the top two teams um, who shared... Uh, in, in fact, actually, Lannan Racing had more victories, didn't they, um, than uh, DKR. So, you know, that very interesting um, that, that they couldn't make it work. What happened to Lannan at, at Barcelona that stopped them scoring? Barcelona was an horrendous moment for Mikey Benham when in one of the free practice sessions he caught an LMP3 car in front of him, which... For some reason, I forget who was driving that car, but uh, was weaving around in the road, was braking at the most inappropriate moments, and Benham just came round the corner, uh, halfway round the lap, around a blind corner, and just caught the back of him. Ah. And he, I mean, the car went twenty foot up in the air, ended up landing on a tire barrier upside down, and Benham was lucky to get out virtually unscathed. I think he did go to hospital under observation, but then was released later on that night. But uh, the, the weekend just never got started. And one or two of us thought that might actually be Mikey Benham just knocking the whole season on the head because it was a horrible moment. And fair play to him for coming back again at Spa. And actually, you know, funny how these things work out. Finished fourth on the road, but was given the win because the top three ahead of him were disqualified. Yeah. So I think that got him back into the mood. Portimao just was a disaster as well, not for the same reasons as Barcelona, but because... 17th finish. Yeah. I mean, they they were in, a, in with a chance, massively in with a chance, the championship going to Portimao. They were, and uh, just it, it was a spin after a, sp a spin, sadly, for Benham. And, well, and then, of course, Duncan Tappy got on board the car trying to, to rescue the situation. Um, and there was two lots of contact with the race leader at the time, for which Duncan Tappy was pinged for both of them. Um, the second one slightly more obvious than the first, although if you look back on it, Tappy uh, is going side-by-side side into the slow hairpin again, the left-hander, side-by-side uh, side with uh, the guy who was overtaking him for the lead and, and steered across him quite clearly. Mm. You know, In the braking area, there was a change of direction from Tappy from his normal line to the left to squeeze the other guy onto the grass. So he was done for that. And then he tried to go up the inside two corners later and contact was made. So uh, 
drive-through penalty. I think, in fact, it was a time limit penalty, so come to a halt and then go going again, and that's put them back to 17th place. Best of the leash years was in fifth position, the number 98 car from um, Motorsports 98. Oh, obviously. Um, they were another nine and a half points further back. What I like about the LMP3 championship in the uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup, Johnny, is there's a number of, of, of teams who really have committed to it. You look at United Autosport, uh, they ran uh, at times four cars through the year, but certainly three cars for the, the bulk of the season. So did Cool Racing, a lot of teams running a couple of cars as well. What that tells me is there's a business opportunity here. And, you know, we don't often talk about the money in motor racing. We talk about the sport. And, of course, that's right. But there has to be a business aspect. And it makes business sense for these teams to be running multiple cars uh, in the uh, the LMP3 category. And that's good news. It is. I mean, that's how, you know, a, a team like United Autosports works, if you like. They, they have a, a guy who wants to go racing, who has a bit of cash from their day job. Uh, they go to United Autosport, say, you know, can can we race a, an LMP3 car? United then supply a semi-pro to pro driver to a company, Jim Maguire, for example, or Rod Hodes, and and then it makes good business sense f for all. Um, so Jim was back again for at least his second season, possibly third. Rod Hodes, slightly more new to the game. And then there's the one-off appearances mm. for people like Nadge who say, well, I did the opening round and Le Mans and then... Uh, packed it in. I think the 24 car would have continued on the rest of the season had Mike Gwash not been uh, injured at Silverstone mm. in the ELMS race in a nasty-looking incident at Beckett's. But, um, yeah, th th I think the, the Road to Le Mans event, more than any others, provide a, a great opportunity to, to bolster your field and, in some cases, actually double the number of cars you're going to run. But, again, it, it is about trying to get, for the championship having a word with these guys, saying, you know, there's a whole season that you could be involved in. I realise that a lot of these drivers are based not in Europe, so it would mean yes. a lot of f flying and uh, you know, working out their diaries around it, but um, maybe taking a Thursday and a Friday off work and then the Monday and Tuesday to get home again. But because, again, it's only once a month and mm -hmm. more infrequently than that over around the Silverstone round because they don't travel to that one. Uh, it, it is doable, but I think it possibly needs a personal one-to-one -one meeting from the ACO to these guys to say, what can we do to, for you to yeah. make it easier to, to, to do the full campaign? As I look down through the entry list for both LMP3 and GT3, um, there are names in pretty much every car, or certainly at least a couple of drivers in every um, team entry that I recognise. And, and whether that it's whether that's you know somebody like Jean-Marc Lippmann, who GM, who jumped in to Euro International's car just the first round, whether it's Freddie Hunt, who just jumped in uh, to a car at Le Mans. Or whether it's people like Naja Sin or Wayne Boyd, who I see uh, in in IMSA, uh, you know those type of people, not necessarily the pros, but the good. There are some good pros in there, obviously that I've mentioned. But you know, it, there's some good arms in there who are clearly enjoying their race, and the future looks good for the what is effectively. Um, it can be a stepping. So we said this about the ELMS. It can be a stepping stone to to WEC, it can be a place to go and race in its own right. And I like that. It's a nice balance. Yeah, yeah you, you can aspire to several rungs up the ladder from the Michelin Le Mans Cup, or you can just keep it there and just continue to do those races uh, year after year. But I think a lot of drivers want to drive something fast with a lot of aero dependency as well. And the LMP3, you know, LMP2, bigger cars more powerful cars and you have to deal with the traffic in split seconds whereas yeah. the LMP3 is I mean actually a more powerful engine but smaller cars narrower and and less aero on them as well so that's your breeding ground that's how you get used to how to drive a prototype and these are thoroughbred prototypes and, yes. and particularly you know going into the new era of LMP3 where we're going to have four brand new chassis all starting from from year zero next year. So that's exciting times. And, and therefore, perhaps that's the, one of the reasons why we've had this influx as well in 2019. But um, there's the chance to step up to, LMP, uh, to, to the European Le Mans series, staying in 
LMP3. You've got the draw, of course, of racing at the Great Circuit de la Sarte every June in this particular championship. And then and many people have done it over the years. John Faub uh, moving into LMP2. And again, bronze-rated driver, but learned to drive a, a, proto- a prototype at Michelin Le Mans Cup level, moved into ELMS and then on to LMP2, LMP2 in the in European-based uh, season. So, And then you don't have to just stop there because you've mentioned IMSA. There are prototypes in that. You could go the Asian Le Mans series route. But it just it, it's a good way of, of getting used to the car and also ticking off a number of predominantly grade one circuits yes. too. So, I mean, that on the CV looks fantastic. Uh, it sounds like you've enjoyed it, Johnny. We'll talk about the new season when we get a little closer to that with those new challenges, the upgraded cars, although there is a, a kit that will go onto the existing cars for existing customers. Uh, Norma becomes Duquesne. And we'll talk about all of that when we get into the new year. JP, thanks for all your hard work in, in 2019. And we'll talk to you again uh, for the preview and listen to you again getting excited once more about the ELMS and the Michelin Le Mans Cup. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMans.com.